Turkey season. Turkey season. Turkey season. 2022. You have arrived at your destination. Hey guys, how's it going? This is Jim Huntsman. Uh, coming at you from the Broken Time studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. And I've got a couple of quick announcements before we kick this episode off. Um, we're going to do a turkey call giveaway from Phelps Game Calls. And we're going to do this a little differently than what we normally do in the past. I've never done this kind of thing before. Uh, it's going to be like through social media. So what we're going to do, I'm going to, once I get the calls, which they are supposed to, the tracking you know, number or whatever is, is telling me they're going to be here either tomorrow night or Thursday morning. Right now it is Tuesday um, when this episode is being released. So just uh, later on in the week, keep an eye on the Instagram. I can't really run it on Facebook as well. Just because of the way that uh, they, it's it's really hard to track Facebook with when when you're doing this. So it's this is uh, going to be a giveaway uh, only through Instagram, and the goal is to promote both Phelps and obviously yours truly here at the Western Huntsman Podcast and grow that Instagram account. So we're going to do a post, and it's going to be like a picture of the turkey calls that I have away. Which, by the way, we're going to do a pot call. And some, um, or I'm sorry, not a pot call. We're going to do the, jeez, uh, oh, man, the box call. <laughs> the Phelps Game Calls box call. Um, if you heard Dirk and I's uh, conversation, I don't know, last month sometime when I had him on the show over at Phelps Game Calls, we talked about the uh, the box call. Uh, it's going to be one of those. It's like a, it's like an 80 or $90 box call. It's a really sweet call. And I'm going to also throw in some uh, some diaphragm turkey reads in there as well. Uh, probably, well, I don't know yet. I, I can't remember what exactly is coming, so I'll, I'll kind of announce that when we do the, uh, do the post on Instagram. So here's, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to take a picture of the items that we are giving away, and uh, I am going to post it to Instagram. Again, not on Facebook, uh, and I don't have Twitter. So um, watch for that post, and I'll announce it, you know, in the post, in, in, the, in the context there. And then you basically what we're gonna do is you just need to tag somebody in that in that post in the comments section. Just tag somebody whether they're following us or not. Uh, I don't really care. Just tag them, and um, we are gonna basically I'll take all those names and put them in my little Excel randomizer thing, and it's gonna draw a name and a winner, and I will ship this stuff out to you. It's gonna be again a box call, some reads, and uh, some Western Huntsman stickers. So uh, that is the giveaway. We're finally getting all this stuff rolling in. I don't know if you guys noticed this lately or not, but we have a supply chain issue going on uh, in the country, and uh, it's kind of affecting everything. So I apologize for the late start on the on the giveaways this year, but they are kicking off now, which is just in time. I don't. And for for a lot of you, turkey season is opened. Uh, for us, it opens uh, on the 15th, unless you're taking youth hunters out. Then it opened last week. So I've had my daughters out a couple of times. Uh, we almost got one, but I screwed it up. So the it, yeah, this this uh, <laughs> this Tom's coming around this brush and kind of hid behind a rock and was was coming in. He wasn't hiding. He just kind of stopped behind this rock, poked his head over the rock, and I didn't know where he went. And I thought he was totally behind this rock kind of thing. <laughs> and he's like he's like 15 yards away. I've got my my 13 year old. She's got my uh, my old 20 gauge all dialed in, ready to go. Uh, this turkey just needed to kind of walk behind this or past this rock a little bit, and she'd had a perfect shot. And what do I do? I stick my big old noggin up over this brush, and the turkey spotted me and run off. So <laughs> I screwed it up. Sorry, Shiloh, uh, my 13-year-old. I uh, screwed the first one up, 
But we got more coming. I'm going to go to my buddy uh, Tyler's house. Uh, they, they've got a big farm with a bunch of turkeys on it, and he said uh, we can come hunt it. So we're going to try that out too. And uh, so that's that's where we're at, guys. So watch for the post again. If uh, if you're not following us on the, or I'm sorry, at the Western Huntsman, it's just at the Western Huntsman on Instagram. Make sure you're following us and tag a buddy. Uh, on that post when I make it. I expect to make it either Thursday or Friday, and we'll let that go for a few days, and I will draw a winner. This is like a $100 worth of Phelps gear, so it's a really cool giveaway. I'm really excited about it, uh, thanks to the guys over at Phelps. And that's uh, what the plan is. So good luck to all of you during spring turkey. It's actually, it has become... Uh, one of my top five favorite hunts, I really like spring turkey. And if you've never done it before, you got to try it. Like you, you just got to get out there. Uh, I, I don't have this sense that it's a lot like calling an elk. I think it's similar to calling an elk, but on a much smaller scale and it's just a lot of action. So if you've never done it before, I'd encourage you to get out there and really encourage you to get a youth hunter out there because, uh, that's. It's, it's a great kind of like foundational hunt, kind of like deer hunting, you know, um, where if they've never hunted before and you get them out there and there's a lot of action, it's not, you know, deer hunting can be really boring for kids, uh, where turkey hunting has a little bit more movement, action, calling, you know, stuff like that going on. So, uh, it's a really good one to get them involved and, and kind of build that passion. So before I get into this episode, uh, which I think you guys are going to really like this one, um, I, let's, uh, let's take care of the sponsors real quick and, and, uh, give them the love that they deserve. Let's uh, let's start with Phelps Game Calls since they're the ones um, we're going to say this episode is sponsored by Phelps Game Calls. In fact, because they're sending the uh, the calls for me to give away to you guys. And uh, Phelps Game Calls, founded back you know 10, 11, 12 years ago in Jason Phelps' garage, is now one of the premier hunting call companies out there. So I know the kind of the flagship calls are their elk calls. Whether you're doing like the Renegade or um, the Unleashed or, or Unrivaled, what any of those bugle tubes that that uh, you guys like out there, uh, they've got the new metal bugle tube that's doing really well for folks, and and obviously all the reeds. Uh, whether you're you're on Team Pink or Team Maverick, it doesn't matter. They're all great calls uh, for for elk. But don't discount all the other calls they have. The turkey call lineup is pretty robust and pretty impressive. There's pot calls, box calls, reeds. All that kind of stuff right there on the website. Uh, the, their predator calls are are really good. Um, I I really enjoy using them and am looking forward to getting the kind of the newer. They've they've got this new lineup of uh, predator calls, specifically coyote calls. Uh, I haven't gotten those yet and tried them, but I've uh, I've got them on order, so they're they're coming. And uh, anyway, jump on Phelps Game Calls and check it out, guys. It's uh, it's a great company run by great people that are legitimate hunters. They they know what they're doing. They know what they're looking for when they're building these calls, and they just do a world class job with world class customer service. And use promo code Huntsman10, and that will get you 10% off. And I appreciate that. Next, let's talk about Scree gear. Scree is extreme mountain gear. Your camo of choice if you don't want to. Drop a small fortune trying to get all uh, all lined out for hunting season. Uh, they've got all the layering systems. They've got a couple of different patterns you can buy. 
Um, they've got the rain gear. Uh, everything from uh, early season to late season, Scree has it all for you guys, and uh, they offer you a great discount. Uh, we get a we get a really good uh, deal here if you use the promo code the Western Huntsman. It's going to get you fifteen percent off and free shipping. So it's a it's a really good deal. Um, I I recommend getting a bundle package because they if you get on there they have like the the elk bundle or the starter bundle. Um, yeah, the whitetail bundle, they have the, like the turkey bundle, all these different packages where you just buy the bundle and you get all the components to that particular package, uh, and, and you get another discount that way by doing it. So it's a great company, uh, great folks over there. And, and again, guys, um, it's just as good as the stuff that you could take a second mortgage out and buy, uh, but you're not going to have to take the second mortgage out. So check it out. Hoffman Boots is next on the list. Hoffman Boots. I've been uh, I've been a huge fan of Hoffman Boots for a long time. Jim Hoffman is a friend of mine. Uh, this is a family of shoemakers that date uh, you know a couple of generations back. They're made right here in North Idaho. Uh, it's a great boot. They will what my, I guess my favorite part of the Hoffman Boots is there's just not much of a break-in period. You could just take them right out of the box and right into the haunt. They will glue your feet to the mountain. They're not going to destroy your feet. Well, for me, I, I, everybody's feet kind of react differently. But for me, um, I know like I blister fairly easy because of how bad my feet got beat up when I was in the military. So I think that that just kind of causes, you know, other, I don't know. I'm What am I, a doctor? I'm not. But I can tell you I usually blister up pretty easy. With my Hoffmans, I don't. I, I just don't have major blister or foot problems or, you know, after after several miles into the backcountry with them. So, yeah, check out the Explorers. I really like my Explorers in the 8-inch. Uh, but they also have them in the 6-inch and the 10-inch. So, they've got lots of options. Check it out at HoffmanBoots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10. That is all caps lock. HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off your Hoffman Boots. Last but not least... I want to talk about the Elk Collective. Guys, you know, like if you are going through the School of September series on this here podcast, uh, you can get a lot of information, but it's all audio. There's nothing visual. It's just a lot of um, information that you could learn from like a theoretical standpoint. You know, here's what you should think about. Here's what you should do. Here's how you could find and locate elk. And it's, it's very much from a bird's eye view. If you want to nail that down, you want to nail that down and get the real information that is going to make a huge impact on you. Um, that's where you go to the Elk Collective. And that's going to have, they have like 150 videos, how-to videos, strategy videos, nutrition, fitness, shooting, um, pack, like pack dumps, and and just different strategic uh, discussions and scenarios that drive a lot of really good conversation on this, um, or I guess I guess what you'd call it is a virtual training program, um, a, a virtual course, online course. So you sign up for it, then that's going to give you access to all the videos. And if you go through them, you're going to want to do like we're we're getting what almost mid April here. You're going to want to do like like four or five, maybe six or seven a week from now until September. And I'm telling you, you're odds of tagging out this September are going to improve drastically. It'll also help our October rifle hunters, our muzzleloader hunters. You're just going to get a lot of information from behavioral stuff to, to bow setups, to bow tuning, to shooting, to, uh, you know, there's just a, it's a collective of experts that are uh, coming at this from a level of expertise that you won't find anywhere else. So check it out at theelkcollective.com and use promo code. Huntsman, or I'm sorry, the Western Huntsman, 
and that is going to give you 20 bucks off. It's going to make it take the course from 89 bucks to 69 bucks, and it's the best 20 bucks you'll spend getting ready for hunting season. And with that, guys, episode 106, here we go, loud and proud. Have a great week. There exists a threat from anti hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tan Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. I've got a uh, pretty interesting topic to talk about today with my new friend, Skylar Watkins. And uh, happy you're here, man. I appreciate you joining me. Heck yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. So you're down, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you're down in Texas fishing. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, I started a company years ago years ago called Blackwater Guide Service and we do a bunch of hunting uh guide trips here in the state of Texas and then we do a little spearfishing too. Anyways, um my buddy Jancy Wilson, he's been with me since the beginning of that. And you know, years ago we didn't really have a pot to piss in when it came to to making money off of this kind of stuff. And then lo and behold somehow we did a good enough job that it worked out. And so we decided, you know, we shouldn't always be the ones guiding people maybe we should do some fun stuff every now and then yeah and uh so we we started doing some hunting and stuff and we did some fishing trips and then we found this place down in south padre and uh and hooked up with a guide down here actually eating at a restaurant one night we we couldn't find anybody and we we put it on facebook and this one lady said why don't y'all contact this guy he's supposed to be real good and we did his name's Brian Barrera down here, and he is fantastic. And so we've been coming every year since, man, having a blast. Oh, sweet. So, like, what's what's your situation right now? You're sitting sitting on the edge of the uh, the Gulf there, or I, I'm not totally sure where you're at. Yeah, so so South Padre is is literally as far south as you can go in Texas. It's the island at the – so if you look on a map of Texas, you go all the way down to Brownsville, which is that very tip point. Uh-huh. And then um, right right outside that tip point, there's a little sliver of an island on the east side, and uh, that's South Padre. So we're we're on the island. Port Isabel is actually the last part of Texas right there, and then you drive over the causeway there and come out here to the island. Oh, and it's a- uh, man, it's beautiful because this is you know you've you know. I don't know how much you've done down on the coast, but you've heard of Destin and stuff like that in Florida, which are all real like nice touristy beachy towns. Sure. Um, Texas doesn't have a lot of that. Um, we've got nice, we've got nice towns on, on the coast, but we don't have a whole lot of pretty water and, and, uh, you know, it's not the Florida scene until you find South Padre and we've got South Padre has beautiful water. You've got, uh, ocean fishing like out in the surf. And then right across from that, you've got an awesome bay that has, 
I mean, down here, there's there's all your redfish and trout and everything like that, but you also get into snook and mangrove snapper and all kind of cool stuff like that. Oh wow! And um, and so it's man, it's it's really fun to just to be able to come down here and do something. And I'm not going to say that it's it's much closer, but it's about it takes me about half the time to get here as it does to get to Destin, Florida. So you know, I'll I'll yeah, take that every day of the week. Yeah, definitely <laughs> take that quicker trip, man. Hell with a long drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's, cool. still, it's still seven hours but it's yeah yeah well it's uh it's better than you know 14 <laughs> i just did that yesterday i have to for my day job i you know I, I i inspect big commercial roofs and i had to drive over to portland and it's seven hours from me oregon yeah look at a roof for i don't know 20 30 minutes and then drive seven hours back it's ridiculous <laughs> what, but, uh, what part of idaho are you in I'm in Clark Fork, Idaho. Um, so if you if you know where Coeur d'Alene is at, I am north of Coeur d'Alene by about an hour and a half, uh, right on the Montana border, though. Okay, I'm headed. We're we're actually headed up that first weekend of June or first week of June. I have to look at the calendar, but we're going to Yellow Pine, Idaho. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and and we're gonna we're gonna try a little wolf hunting up there. Ah, oh, uh, sweet. As long as, it, as long as it doesn't get shut down before then, but. Um, it shouldn't yeah, we're, get we're kind of there to try it. Well, good, man. You should, uh, you guys should, have you ever wolf hunted before? I haven't, I haven't. I've wanted to forever. And, um, you know, we can kind of get into the wild you here in a minute before we talk about four progeny. But, but yeah. when we, when we started the wild you stuff, um, met a guy on there, um, and, and his screen name was DK guide life. And, and he was a very good, you know, loyal follow of ours and, and constantly, you know, interacting with us and writing me messages and stuff. And, and, uh, I started talking about wolf hunting and he was like, man, that's what I do. You guys ought to, you guys ought to come up and, and go with me, you know? And I said, heck yeah, we're in. Oh, yeah. Tell us, tell us where to sign. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Come up and come up and help us out, man. We, we need the, the, the more wolves taken out, uh, the better right now. They're, they're about a little over three times what the managed, uh, or management objective was for the state of Idaho. So there's uh, a little over 1500. There's, I, I want to say 1,542 wolves and they were supposed to have, you know, between three and 500 wolves. And so, um, if you, if you get a wild hare, my buddies, uh, who they're, they're up here in North Idaho as well, stuck in the rut. They've got a really good online course how to hunt wolves. So it's not trapping. It's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's how to hunt wolves in Idaho and you buy, you have to buy the course and it's like a video thing and they walk you through how they call them in. Um, it's, it's super good. It's super good. So that's the um, guy you had on recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was on last fall. Yeah. Uh, I think in November, but okay. yeah, he's, I think he's I just, just recently a, listened to that episode or something. And, mm-hmm. uh, Right, yeah. because it had to do with wolf hunting, and and so yeah. I, I I was listening to that, and yeah, man, I got real interested in that. Yeah, man, those guys are killers, man. I I don't care if it's elk, wolves, uh, whatever. They're they're just he's super effective, super lethal, um, and has a really good little process, if you will, uh, when it comes to calling in wolves and 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 getting those tags notched on a, on a wolf. So, um. Yeah, that'll be good, man. Keep me posted how that wolf hunt goes. I uh, love hearing yeah, it. I yeah, think it sure. sounds like you'll be quite a bit south of me, uh, but uh, still, it's yeah, it, it'll it'll be a riot. 
Yeah. I'm, yeah, let, I'm oh, stoked go. about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. be. Um, tell us a little bit about you. You, you mentioned the wild you. Uh, give yeah. us, give us a little history on, on who you are, uh, your platforms, wild, you, the, you know, for progeny, um, kind of give us a bird's eye view, man. We'll start from there. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a crash course, um, which has been my whole life. But, um, so we, like I said, we started Blackwater. Blackwater has been just wildly successful for us and it's an outfitting business. And, um, and now we're up over 600 clients a year. And, uh, what, and do, what are you guys anyway, outfitting for? Anything you can think of in Texas other than waterfowl. Gotcha. Um, and so we do, you know, native stuff. Uh, we do exotics. Um, we do turkey. We do predator hunting. And then we do some spear fishing. And we have both uh, low fence free range and high fence properties. Um, and so anything you can think of, we literally hunt. The guys work every single day of the year now, uh, other than everybody gets off Christmas day and Thanksgiving day. But, um, you know, so we stay real busy with that. And then with, with, uh, myself having kids now and Jancy, my, my head guy, he, he started having kids, he and his wife started having kids. And, and so I told him he's, he's extremely artsy and everything. He's actually asleep up in the hotel room right now, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's extremely artsy and just, just a great loyal guy and a really good friend. And so, um, and, and don't get me wrong. He makes good money in being the head guide of Blackwater, but I told him, you know, Hey, look, you know, we don't have, we don't have retirement in the outfitting business, you know, so we have to have some form of investments or something to, once we get too old to climb the hills anymore, you know, we got to be able to have a little money left over. Sure. And uh, so I said, man, why don't we, why don't we take, we've always done content creation and stuff like that. And I said, why don't we take our skill set, do some of this fun stuff and actually, actually put it down on, you know, on video and in articles and podcast form, whatever it takes and try to make a dollar off of it, you know? And, uh, and so we started doing that. We started actually with a TikTok account and, um, you know, we, we had some good stuff on there and then it got into where, uh, we just started doing stupid stuff. And I was basically telling jokes or funny stories or yelling at people that were passing on deer that they should have shot and stuff like that. And it blew up, man. I mean, we had videos getting 4 million views, 5 million views, Oh, dang. And, uh, yeah. And we got up to, I think we've got a hundred and 138,000 followers on there or something like that. Now you're talking, uh, this is on TikTok. Yeah. On TikTok. Oh, gotcha. I don't and, know shit uh, about TikTok. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's a crazy world. I, I don't either. Right. I know that, I know that if I do something serious on there, nobody gives a crap, but if I do something like, so they have these things called duets, right? Where you like split screen somebody else's video. Yeah. And, and if, and if, you know, these people are, you know, they'll go hunt at, at Apple Creek or, or somewhere up there where it's a high fence place with this 300 inch whitetail single file line walking past the blind. And, uh, you know, and I'll just be doing something like Matt and then I'll yell whack or something like, and then you just do it repeatedly because they're not going to shoot because they don't have the money to pay $40,000 for that deer, you know? And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's funny from the standpoint that everybody else gets on there and they're like, hell yeah, man, why wouldn't you shoot that? I've never passed it. Well, those videos blow up, 
right? Huh. But if I get on there and I say something, you know, if I was going to get on there and do something on wolf hunting or or something important or something about conservation, I'd get 2,000 views. You know, mm, yeah. <laughs> so I don't understand the algorithm, but it did blow up and it turned into something where we were able to kind of uh, start a podcast with the Wild U and start making some videos and stuff. And it, it took off pretty good. And then uh, I did, I, I write a bunch of articles on the Wild U platform and uh, those went pretty well. And then I, I wrote one on um, when Sportsman's Alliance came out and said uh, about the Biden cabinet in, in discussions with the Center for Biological Diversity about taking away that 2.2 million acres, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the different habitat reasons and putting lead into the streams and killing fish or frogs or whatever the hell they were talking about. And uh, that article blew up pretty well and got read like 3000 times or something like that. And so that helped us out a little bit. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the wild you. And then in the process of, of doing the wild you is how the, the idea for, uh, for progeny came about. And when that happened, I mean, there was no fight over it or anything like that, but when that happened, Jancy, he's, he's really artsy. And so, you know, when I told him this, this thought I had, which it was actually a dream. So that's something crazy that we'll get into in a minute. But when I told him about it, you know, we both kind of fired off on it and we were doing really well talking back and forth about it for a while. And then he came to me and he was like, man, I just, you know, I think it's a great idea. I just really like the artsy stuff and doing stuff with my hands. And I really don't want to do the nonprofit type deal because, and he's not, you know, he's not a, um, I don't want to say an idea guy, but, but he's not an, an organization type guy. He, he kind of likes to keep to himself and, and like we're, we're using swim baits down here that the dude carved out of wood with the freaking, uh, roof and knife and hand airbrush painted and shellac. I mean, they look like $200 swim baits that you would buy somewhere and he nice. made them with a freaking car. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's, that's his personality. And that's, we, we like to do the fun stuff like that. But, um, so when that happened with, with me bringing up for progeny, I just told him, I was like, look, man, I, uh, I got to do this. You know, it's on my heart and it's, it's something that's, I feel is important to me. And so I'm going to run with it and we're still going to do wild you. And we're obviously never going to get rid of Blackwater because that pays the bills. Um, but, but I've got to do it, you know? And so mm-hmm. I've focused, I've focused most of my attention here lately on for progeny. So before we get to four progeny, um, you said something uh, a few minutes ago. What are you talking about with 300 inch whitetail? Yeah. So you've heard of like uh, Apple Creek and um, golly, what's the, what's I, I have, I haven't, you, 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 you must be referring uh, like, these are, these are some like high fence kind of places or whatever. Yeah. Sam, uh, Samson mountain, I think is the other one that, okay. that gets on TikTok all the time, but no, they're, they're like, um, I guess they're, you know, I've, I've never done a lot of high fence hunting out of Texas and I've, I've, um, you know, Texas is kind of a different story and I can see where a lot of people like come from other States and, and bash the high fencing side. And then they get to Texas and they're like, Oh crap, this is way different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, because there, and don't get me wrong, Texas is not a perfect state and there are plenty of, of high fence ranches that I'm not going to say shouldn't be in business, but that I would never personally participate in because 
they're just too small and it's not a, it's not a hunt. Uh, but you know, we've got, we've got places here that are, we hunt on one ranch that's high fenced and it's 26,000 acres. Um, we hunt on uh, a ranch all the time that's high fenced that's 4,800 acres. You know, a, a contiguous piece of 4,800 acres is way larger than a lot of people from out of state ever hunt on on free range land. Sure. You know? And so it's 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 kind of a different story. But those those ranches I'm talking about that that make it on TikTok a lot, you know, they're um they're kind of a place where you you go in and they're like, all right, Jim here's the 30 bucks we got in here at this point and here's what they cost. And, you know, you can shoot this one for this price or this one for this price. And you kind of got your deer picked out and you're waiting for him to come by and whack him, I guess. So people pay that they're, I'm super ignorant to this stuff, man. Um, they pay like 40 grand to shoot these deer. At, At one point in time, for sure. They did the market, the whitetail market has fluctuated so much. Um, I started guiding when I was 14 and I'm 35 this year. So for 21 years, this is all I've known is, is the hunting industry in the state of Texas. And, um, I've seen it go, you know, probably the highest that I've ever seen a a whitetail go for here in Texas that I was around and a part of was about 25,000. Um, but you know, every year we sell multiple deer hunts a year in the $10,000 range. Um, but, um, you know, there are situations where, I mean, I'll tell you this, if a guy had a clean, typical, no trash, 220 plus inch deer, he could, he could probably get 30,000 for him pretty easily. Wow. Yeah, dude, that, (laughs) that is a totally different world. And I, I don't bash high fence hunting just because, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, we're all hunters and, and, uh, we're at a, we're at a point, we're at a crossroads, you know, as we're looking into the future of hunting, um, I, I don't give a shit how people go about hunting as right. long as we're all on the same fight. Um, it does, it does blow my mind that, you know, for, for what I do, I think my deer tag cost me 30 bucks and I, I can go shoot a big ass white tag. And I'm not a 300 inch. I mean, I've never even shot a 225 inch, but these are, these are, right. you know, public land deer up here. So, um, right. I, it, so it does blow my mind. People pay that much money uh, to do that, but I could see where the market would would be if if somebody's super removed from, you know, wild places. You know, somebody living in Atlanta, Georgia, or something, or Dallas, Texas. You know, maybe they maybe they just don't have the opportunity, so they they pay that kind of money to go experience it. And really, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, definitely not my thing, but uh, it, it is cool. It's cool seeing those kind of bucks there because they do get yeah, some big ass whitetail in Texas. Yeah, it's um. So my I, I struggled with it a lot, right? Uh, because I I personally, when I personally hunt, um, you know, I am a I'm a fair chase guy, and I think that term fair chase gets it gets thrown around a lot, and it and it it comes with positive and negative connotation depending on which side you're on. Well, um, it's it, dude, I, the fair chase thing. Sorry. I, I think we have a bit of a delay. Sorry if I cut you off there. Oh, you're all right, man. But that the fair chase thing has the, the connotation it comes with is, or that I always question is, is who, who defines that? Who defines fair chase? Like 
is is shooting an elk at a thousand yards with you know some of these these rifles that can really reach out and touch him is that fair chase is is fair chase you know even what i do i call in a bull i fool a bull elk to to come screaming in he's slobbering mad and i stick him with an arrow at 20 yards is that fair chase you know who i i get the concept of it and and i i like the discussion around fair chase but but like what is what really defines that and what what kind of who who gets to draw the line you know what i mean i was i always wonder that oh, for sure but yeah. yeah and and the the biggest deal to me is that we have regulations on everything. Some we agree with, some we do not. But if, if a person is, is buying a license, putting their money into the industry, being a member of the industry, and hunting within the rules and regulations, then there's absolutely no, no reason to be a jackass to them yeah. for, the, for the way that they do things. You know what I yeah. mean? You don't have to agree to it. I, I had an old man that was a client the other day, and he made a great point was that, you know, and he told me, and I'll be honest with you, I get tired of hearing it sometimes about the back in the day stories. But uh, <laughs> but he told me, you know, back in the day, Skylar, we used to be able to agree to disagree. And we can't do that anymore. If we don't agree now, we have to hate each other and we have to tell the world about it. You know, and I'm like, God, he's right. Point, you know? He's right. No, I've talked about that before. And, and in fact, I've I've uh I've written about that recently about, you know, he's, he is right back, back in the old days, you know, the world would be pretty boring if we all just agreed on everything. Right. But, but back exactly. in the old days, you, you could like my family is a great example. I've got some hardcore conservatives and some hardcore liberals in my family. So Thanksgiving would get freaking rowdy, man. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. it would, there would be, I remember somebody threw uh, a little plate against the wall and they're yelling and screaming. And I'm a kid, you know, they're just arguing over politics. But, you know, by the time the night was finished, we're all still family and everybody's, you know, hugging each other goodbye. And so the, right. that kind of shit, I remember when, when Trump got elected and I have some, uh, on, on the other side of my family, some, some like just diehard liberals. Uh, man, they wouldn't talk to me for a long time because they know I'm, I'm a pretty conservative dude. You know, like they literally were, were saying that, um, you know, politics is ripping the family apart and you can't come around and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, here, let me, let me open you up another Coors Light. It's, I, I call it liberal tears. Like <laughs> calm down. It's, it's okay to disagree. And, and just like what we're talking about, like I can be, I could totally be friends with somebody who, who makes it a habit to hunt high fence areas. I don't care. We're, we're hunters. We have the same goal at the end of the day. And so I, I think that that's important. And, and that, that old timer that you're talking about is he's, he's dead right, man. He's dead nuts right. I can say dead nuts. I've got a dead nuts, uh, target sitting in front of me in my studio here. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but these things are cool. I haven't I have. even unpackaged it. I got to take it out of the package and set it up. I've been waiting for the snow to melt. But anyway, I've been wanting to say it now since we started recording. So I got that out. There you go. Dead nuts outdoors. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, it, it, that's, that's an important thing, man. Um, we, we do need to find, look at what the common ground is versus, you know, I hunt public land, you hunt, you know, high fence and, and we, we can't be friends because of it kind of thing. It's, it's, that stuff's got to go away. And that's maybe a good place to kind of lead into this for progeny or progeny. Um, do you want to talk about that and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, man. So I had, um, this is going to sound crazy, 
and it may be why it works. I don't know, but but I had I had jumped into this big dive into conservation, right? I I um, I'd, I've been online friends with Andy Mokel for a long time, the flip flop guy, um, and then um, you know through him I was introduced to uh, Charles Whitwam with Hal. Um, and then, and then, you know, kind of through that, I got introduced to Robbie with blood origins. And, and so I, I kind of made my way around the circle, not in a handshake personal level, but, but in online and, and started donating to those guys stuff and diving really deep into it. And that's where I was getting a lot of my, uh, a lot of my info to, to write my articles and stuff for the wild you. And, and then, uh, then I decided to join a couple of the, of the conference calls or zoom meetings through how, um, like when Colorado tried to shut down the mountain lion and the, in the Bobcat. And then yep. when, uh, I was in on the, on the California bear hunting legislation one and, Oh, I was on I that listened, one too. Yeah, man. I, I listened intently to what, to what people had to say. And, and then when the issue of, um, you know, when, when all that's going on, I'm kind of, I'm taking notes on everything. And then the issue pops up with the, you know, is the Biden administration in cahoots with the center for biological diversity. And I took a dive into that one. And then right after I finished that is when, um, this last big publication of the, of the, uh, corner crossing case, um, came out, you know, with the, with the four guys from Missouri who the, the rich, you know, CEO that doesn't even live on the property is now suing them for trespassing and because their shoulders touched his airspace when climbing across the, you know, the ladder they put over. And, Damn. and so I, I start taking into this, this deep dive into that. And I'm reading that, you know, these, uh, these guys, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, well, wait a second. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with the Pittman Robertson act. I'm familiar with, with, with what's going on there and, and what we put into the system. And, and I don't like arguing about money a lot of times because, you know, when it, when it, you get to the case, like the California bear thing, I, I feel like we put a lot of emphasis on, on just money, money, money on that. And it came out that like, you know, the license and tag sales would have equated to about 1.6 million. Uh Um, I think that would have come in for, for the bear tags over there. And in my head, you know, I, I, I'm very open-minded person. So I listen to both sides, you know, from political standpoint or a hunting, anti-hunting standpoint, I want to try to find what the common ground is. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, guys, 1.6 million, that's not a number that we really, you know, that's not something you really want to tout a bunch in California. When you got Leonardo DiCaprio saying, save the wolf, stop all the hunting, that guy could write the check for 1.6 million and tell us to all go kick rocks. Yeah. You know, Uh, California can raise 1.6 million in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, and so there has to be, we have to have more meat on the bones than just saying we put all the money into it. You know, um, it's a great, it's a great thing because we do. Um, but you know, there has to be, and I think Charles and those guys have done a great job and Robbie with his storytelling has done a great job, um, to show that, that there is something. And, and during this process, when I'm looking into all this, you know, I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old little girl and my six-year-old, she's getting into, getting into hunting and I'm out there and doing stuff with her. And I'm thinking, you know, after listening to all these people and how many 
you know, how deep of a dive I've taken into this and me realizing it's not the money. It's not the saving of the animals. It's simply a fact that the anti-hunting agenda cannot stand our way of life and they cannot find a ground to agree to disagree on. And therefore their ultimate goal is to shut down hunting period. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to do. It, it, it's, it's not about the money. It's not about saving the animal or saving this, this wildlife or wetlands or whatever they're talking about. That's all just a forefront, you know, to, to pretend like they're doing something good. Their real agenda is to poke the bear and squish us down to the point that we cannot go and participate in what we deem is our way of life. Yep. And, and so I'm like, I don't want my daughter, you know, my daughters to, to not get to experience this connection that, that I feel is one of the most important connections I've ever had in my life. And it's the connection with nature. And, um, and so I went to bed and I had this dream. I woke up the next morning and, and in this dream, I had a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically having a discussion with this lady and, and we're having this argument and it's about her not liking hunters and, and me not being able to, to hunt over there. But basically the way this dream went is I had always hunted on this property my whole life. And, and then this new lady had the property and she was anti-hunting and she tells me I'm never allowed to hunt on there again. That place will never be hunted again. And, you know, in this dream, since you know how dreams are, man, everything you've thought about the night before pops up somehow in some oh, way yeah. fashion, you know. And so in this dream, you know, this this big piece of public land was on the other side of her. And now she's telling me because of this corner crossing thing that I'm not allowed to go over there either. And and so I'm pissed off. And so I use my online skills and I get everybody together and it's like a GoFundMe situation and we raise all this money and I go in and I buy that lady out. And, mm-hmm. and once I do that, I'm, I tell all my friends, I'm like, Hey guys, we can hunt again. We own this now, you know? And so it's like this big hooray moment. And I wake up the next morning and of course I, you know, I'm like, I got to tell somebody this because I don't want to forget it, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, so I called, I'm sitting in my office drinking my coffee and I call my wife. I'm like, Hey, I got to tell you something. It's not important to you, but I just want to tell you that way I, I can remember it. And I tell her. And of course, the first thing she says is like, yeah, you're going to get sued. And I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Whatever. And, uh, and so then I called Jancy and I tell him and, 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 you know, him being uh, a good friend like he is and, and maybe possibly not wanting to piss me off, you know, he's like, well, what about this? What about this? And, and kind of helps me talk through it a little bit, you know? And I said, you know, at the end of it, I go, dude, this is possible. Like this is possible. There are people every day that spend money on stupid crap that, that if you asked them, what's the top 10 most important things in your life, the items that they're spending money on would never come up in the top 10, but hunting would. So Mm -hmm. why don't we convince the people to get into a program like this? and do something for the greater good of the community. And, um, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of how the, uh, the ideology of four progeny came up. And I'm, so I'm on the four progeny Instagram here and, and just, just for listeners, um, I'm going to read the little description. It says crowdsource funding to buy private property and turn it back into communal public hunting land, land for outdoorsmen by outdoorsmen, nonprofit. 
Um, it's an interesting idea because I, you know, I've, I've had this thought, you know, what if, what if there was a way to pool money together to buy, you know, land access areas or, or, uh, you know, some private, uh, chunk of, of land that we could turn into public land or, or give access to landlocked public land, uh, things like that. And there's, there's organizations that have done something similar. Um, you know, but there's, there's, there's a lot that goes into this. And, and especially I want to talk about with, when we're talking about this, I, I can't remember what the percentage, cause you're in Texas and Texas right. is not particularly known to be super public land friendly. <laughs> you know, um, uh, we've got, uh, we've got more license holders in the state of Texas than we have public acres to hunt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, uh, I actually, uh, this was, this was years ago. I had a, I had an opportunity to take a job down in Texas and, uh, it was actually a really good position, you know, both just what the job was and financially would have been a big bump. Um, but I turned it down and the reason I turned it down was exactly that the hunting, does not lend itself to the style of hunting and the lifestyle that I like to live and pursue. Um, everything, you know, I, I was talking, I've got a lot of buddies down in Texas and they're like, yeah, you got to have, you know, own a lease or you've got to know somebody with a lease. or you've got to, you know, pay money to go onto a ranch and, you know, all these things that were, that came up into my mind. And, and so I turned the job down because of all that. Uh, because I, I experienced that, uh, on a smaller scale when I, when I lived in North Carolina, when, when I was in the service, um, you know, n- just not a ton of pro- public land. And so this, this comes up, you know, as you're, you're talking about it, uh, again, it's, it's something that, that I've put a lot of thought into because public land is a very important thing to me. And I, I don't think that. Well, I shouldn't say that. It does get the attention it deserves by certain people, but there's other people that, that seem to think that, you know, public land is some constitutional, um, it's against the constitution and, and we, we shouldn't have it and all public land should be privately owned or, you know, what, whatever. Um, right. And it pisses me off because, this was set up like, what are you going to do with it? What, what, what are you going to do with it? And we have another, another thing I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, I'm not picking on Texas just so you know, Skylar, it's just, we have like a, uh, these Texas billionaire oil tycoons that come up here to Idaho and buy these big chunks of land that landlock public For land sure. behind them. And, sure. um, I mean, it's a thorn in our side. It's, it's an issue. People that have been accessing those mountains for generations to get up and, you know, just hunt a deer or something. All of a sudden there's, there's a gate on it and, um, it's really frustrating. So I want, let's talk about that. And like, is your focus, is it on, on opening up public land in Texas or, or give us, give us kind of a synopsis on that? No, I want it to be nationally, but you know, obviously continental U.S. Um, I don't, I don't see us doing a lot in Hawaii or Alaska. Um, but First, let me just say this um, to kind of to kind of set the stage is that when you think of public land and what we do with public land from a from a safeguarding and political standpoint, mm-hmm. if somebody was honest with themselves, which I, I took a deep dive into this, we spend the majority of our time 
when it comes to public land, we spend trying to save it, trying to salvage it, trying to gain access to it. And none of that includes us trying to grow it, um, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, because we fight so freaking hard just to try to we're, we're just begging to please let us keep what we supposedly already own. Yep. And 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 we do that nonstop. That's where all of our resources, all of our efforts goes into. Please don't take away what you say that we pay for. Um, and so my thought was, you know, I look at somebody like John Malone, who is the largest landowner in the U.S. right now with two point two, I believe, million acres. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at a guy like that and yeah, he's a billionaire. But he's one freaking man, you know, there's no way you can tell me that one man can beat 15 million registered hunters in the continental U.S. if we wanted to do something, you know. And so I'm I'm just I'm too competitive to say that 15 million of us could stare across from one guy and go, yep, he'll beat us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that, That doesn't make sense to me. So. To get back to your point, uh, and so honestly, Jim, that's what got me fired up. You know what I mean? I've 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 been an athlete my whole life and, a, and an entrepreneur, and I'm just like, screw this, man. We don't have to be the little guy. You know what I mean? We can yeah. be the big guy. And um, and so on for progeny. The idea is is to be across the continental U.S. Um, Texas is a great place to start one because I'm here and I know the area so well Uh, Two, because when we did our research and and we've had people from other states researching with us also, and, you know, ultimately the goal would be to add as much acreage and opportunity for as little dollars per acre as possible. Um, And with that comes obviously Texas, because when you look, you know, if you take the western portion of Texas, you're still in way below average price per acre. Uh, when it comes to an average across the country mm-hmm. and the state of Texas also has very liberal rules when it comes to species harvest. And so we have a lot of, a lot of opportunity to harvest. Um, so in theory, these first few properties we've looked at have been in Texas just because when we, when we put it to a spreadsheet, it was like, okay, for this amount of money, we can add this many acres and 150 new opportunities for big game hunting um, or whatever it is, as opposed to here in Illinois, where we're only going to be able to add at one point in time in Illinois, a property we looked at in Illinois, we could add 600 acres and like six whitetail tags and, um, and 10 Turkey tags for like $5 million. And in Texas, we could add 8,600 acres and 150 big game opportunities for the same amount of money. Um, and so obviously, you know, it would benefit the group to add more. Um, well, yeah. And, 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 and but, let's face it, Texas, Texas needs it. Tech, there's a lot of hunters in Texas that have to sit a hunt out because they don't have anywhere to go. Um, what Skyler, what's the vision in terms of if, if you can, if you can garner that kind of money, you, you can get, get a hold of five, 6 million bucks and buy 8,600 acres, what, where does that go? 
like who what does that get turned over to does that make sense are, are you are you talking about yeah, you yeah, turn sure. it over to federal land or uh keep it privately owned but allow access uh how does that work yeah so definitely not interested in turning it over to the government um just because i think that puts it back into the classification of us having to fight governmental agendas and anti-hunting legislation on that piece of property with it being included in everything else that we're already fighting. Well, not to mention, um, didn't you have, wasn't it a, wasn't it Texas Senator Ted Cruz? It like, they're like, Oh, there's only this much public land in Texas. And he's like, well, and that's, that's too much kind of thing. And uh, give it time and there will be yeah, none. I, yeah. I don't know if it was, I don't know who said it, but that's definitely the theory down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, here's the deal with so for progeny was, is obviously uh going to be a non-profit uh which we just finished um just yesterday got off a, a phone meeting with the attorneys and the um accounting team and uh, we had another meeting yesterday and they're good to go on filing our paperwork and everything like that so we're really close to being able to launch this thing um we're actually we're actually in the process of building a board uh, for, for, for progeny right now. But so that for progeny will be where the assets are held. Um, and so the cool thing about that is when holding the assets in uh, a nonprofit, it could never go, none of the property could ever go to a single individual again. Sure. Um, and so what we would do with it, let's say that something bad happened or, or later years down the road, whoever was directing at that time said, we've got to shut this down. The only thing they could do with the property, it can't even go back and be split up between the people who helped donate money to pay for it. The only thing they could do is transfer that to another nonprofit. Um, and so they could pick whoever Rocky mountain elk foundation, and they could give every bit of the acreage over to the Rocky mountain elk foundation. Gotcha. Um, and so I, I like you that. Know, and so yeah, that's how it stands. And so that it can't be, it can't be screwed up again once we get our claws in it. Um, and I, you know, I hate to sound Jim, like, like some of the, you know, bigger private landowners, we, we take them for sounding at times, but my God, man, I mean, let's be honest. If there is a, if there is a set of rules in the game and one group of people are able to circumvent those rules to make everything fit their way. We either have to complain about it or we have to play ball, you know? And so if we're able to do the same thing to where me and you and every other hunter out there and angler out there, however we set it up goes, Hey, let's just make this for progeny thing appear to be one big person. And let's go start acquiring this land ourselves. Um, you know, then then we've found a way around the rules, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so when it comes to that property to, to get back to your question, it'll be housed in the nonprofit owned by the nonprofit as an asset. And then the nonprofit, um, you know, will, will handle the actual management on the lands, um, in, in what? regards to what the actual governmental, you know, regulations are from the wildlife departments or whatever. So when you say management, uh, are, are you talking about wild game? Yes. So each okay. each property, the way we have it set up is, um, 
I don't know how your like state parks are and stuff up there in Texas, the way our state parks are, you know, you have a, whatever, a night's watchman, a ticket, you know, a, a gatekeeper type deal like that. Sure. Um, same, same setup on this to where you, you've got your entrance exit pass type deal, but each property, or if they're smaller properties in a singular, singular surrounding area, um, each section will be, uh, there will be a wildlife biologist who is hired by for progeny to run that and manage that, that area, um, to do the harvest quotas, data surveys, everything like that in correspondence with whatever the regulations are for that County state region, so on and so forth. Um, Okay, so that that would bring me to another question, uh, Skyler. With when, when we're talking about management, not not necessarily wildlife management, because what what I think about um, is okay, we we bought this land, right, and right. and uh, now it's it's under the ownership and management of of a nonprofit organization. We're going to build a trailhead or or a parking area. Who maintains that? Is that is that just something that comes from the donations for the nonprofit? You know, they we need to regravel the driveway, or uh, maybe put in some kind of outhouse or, or something. Um, does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah, no, it it does for sure. So each um, <clears throat> there's two ways to look at it, and and both of them come from within. Um, each property will obviously have its will will be on its own budget. Right. So you have an operating budget for each property, mm-hmm. um, just like all these ranches that we manage here in Blackwater. Each one of them has its own operating budget that shows what X cost. And this is what it costs year to year, every year. Um, where does that money come from? It has to come back from within. Now, you obviously are going to have your your donations and, and, you know, people donating, whether it's monthly or lump sums or whatever they do. But then at the same time, um each property won't just be hunting where you're doing a draw tag or whatever it is. Um, and so you'll have, you know, fishing access in certain at certain times of the year and you'll have your camping access at certain times of the year. And those accesses will be just like it's the way it's done here in the state is, you know, you pull into the park to, to go fish or to go camp or whatever, and you pay your $5 park fee or whatever that is. Um, those funds will be used in that manner what you're asking as far as upkeep and, and okay. bathrooms. And so what about, what about, let's say you take it out of Texas and you bring it up here to Idaho or, or Colorado or somewhere, somewhere and, and you've got this chunk of land, uh, property that is blocking public land. Uh, and this, this takes place all over the West, right? You can, you can go to Montana, Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, uh, Colorado, a- anywhere in the West, and and see this where there's this huge chunk of public land that looks just like you know epic elk hunting country or something and it's completely landlocked so instead of buying a chunk you buy purchase a perhaps like an easement you know a a 10 foot wide strip of land so that people can access the public land behind there you you buy one of those so that's going to be different because you know you're not you're not having people show up to hunt or fish particularly on that land all that is is an easement to get through is that something that you foresee like there's there's some kind of fee or or maybe there's a membership people could buy um you know for progeny 
annual membership allows me access to those kind of things. And it's, you know, 35 bucks or something for the year, whatever you, you know, you come up with. Um, is that, is that how you foresee that in, in some of these other states? Um, yes and no. So they're all, they're all individual projects, right? And the projects that we can do are obviously based on the participation amount that we have. And so we're going to do these one at a time. Um, and so we'll have, uh, I wish the website was live right now so you could see it, but it, you know, obviously it's not going live until we go live, but, um, you know, so you have like project one and it's whatever we'll use the, the example of the 8,600 acres, 8,600 acres in Texas. And it's this and this, and this is how much we need for to purchase the property and for the estimated year one um, operating expenses. And that hires everybody and does everything for a year. And we feel that after year one, the amount of people that we have in correlation with tags that we have and, and projected experiences out there is going to be able to maintain that property for years to come. Um, once that property is completely paid for. We're not doing this on a loan type system. Um, and so when, when I come to you and I say, Jim, we just bought this property here in Texas to open back up to public access, you know, as a, as a, uh, supporter of four progeny that we 100% have paid for that property in full. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once that's done, then we go up, you know, and let's say we've, we've gone up to this place in Idaho. If I come up there to you and you, you call me and say, Scaler, I've, I found this place up here. It's $1.5 million. It's 400 acres. And it gives us 400 acres of access that butts up to this, whatever, 5,000, 10,000 acres of BLM that we've never been able to touch. Um, that's when we sit down with, with you or the team that we have in that region and, and go, okay, so what do we need to do with this property? If the, if the answer is we don't need to do anything except for put a parking lot in because it gives access to the other 10,000 acres of BLM land, then that's what we do, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then, and then that piece of property is bought and, and that was the project. So I know I'm talking around that kind of, but it's, it's, it's project specific. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, that, that makes sense. Cause and and I guess you'd have to take into account, you know, property tax and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, as, as the years go on. Um, yeah, we, we will, we will be getting out of, well, the way we've set this up in the nonprofit and being national and doing this for, for conservation and education and being able to be a 501c3, um, there are definitely some tax loopholes there that help us out with property taxes. And, you know, obviously some of it is county dependent and some states are different than other states. Um, but a lot of the properties we've looked at so far, we, we would be able to be clear of, of that. And to be honest with you, a lot of the perks that the government gives you for doing wildlife conservation or, you know, even in the case of agriculture or whatever, <clears throat> the property taxes are so minimal. Um, at that point that, that they're a very easy, uh, piece of the financial puzzle to cover. Gotcha. Um, but, but when you asked earlier about like memberships and stuff like that, um, we have to be very careful about that. Um, the way that the nonprofit is structured. And, uh, so this is, I mean, this is a huge undertaking, Jim. And so, yeah, the, oh, it's, 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 it's enormous, man. It's enormous. Like yeah, yeah. when I say I've, I've thought about this, I, I have, uh, I have spoke with attorneys. I have, I have, uh, calculated 
what it would cost to maintain chunks of land if I was like just you know you know let let's say tomorrow I win a Powerball ticket and I'm able to buy you know a million acres here in Idaho or something like that that I my my goal would be to open it up uh, for hunters <clears throat> but you know I I you run into all sorts of stuff that you don't even think about and um, yeah. So, so yes, when you say it's a huge undertaking, it, it's a massive, it's a massive undertaking. However, uh, I, I believe it's doable. And I, I believe that if we get enough people involved, right. And you get enough people that are, that are committed to seeing it through from like a management perspective and a, and a conservation perspective and, uh, hunters that are, that are interested as, as we're watching the Wilkes brothers, soak up more public acres or blocking access to public lands, you know, here, here, up here in uh, Idaho and Montana. Um, I, I think that the people are, it's, it's going to, there's going to be some interest because we, like you, like you said, our fight is not, you know, trying to grow public land and national forests and BLM uh, properties. Uh, our fight is always protecting. Like I, I want I can't remember, Utah, the state of Utah, they, I can't remember if it was 4 million or 40 million, but they recently lost a shitload of public land. And, um, that's what we want to prevent. And, and, and the purpose of BLM land, some of the debates going around about what that's for and whether people just have the right to access it and, and where that's heading. Uh, there's a lot to be concerned about. Um, and, you know, if, if, if there was an organization like For Progeny that owned the, these acreage, uh, or this acreage that that could protect against, you know, it could be a buffer against a lot of these assaults that we're seeing on public land, which I guess would lead me to another question. So let's say you you, you buy this piece of property in Texas, 8,600 acres. We keep using this 8,600 acres uh, down there in Texas. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's fine. That, there, there's actually a property that, that is like that, and it might be subconsciously that I brought it up or whatever, but it's one yeah. that I posted the other day that I was I was making a meme out of. So, yeah, I'm with you. I know about it. <laughs> well, well, think about it. Think about um, 8,600 acres is is a lot of land. Is That's a lot of land for, like you said, what did you say, 150 whitetail tags or something like that? Or, or maybe that's a combination with Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. It was a combination of, of hunting in general. It would, it would be able to supply that piece of property would be able to supply 150 new hunting opportunities, you know, in, in the state of Texas to draw from. So let's say that happens. You've got that in place and a hunter, um, you know, wants to hunt that land. And so he, you know, however you set it up by it pays the little fee or gets whatever access necessary to get on there. The idea is to make it as accessible as possible, right. To people that can't afford right, a lease sure. or something, you know, for sure. um, you know, there's going to have to be some kind of cost there. They're just, just for the sheer sake of, of manage. I don't think people uh, understand how expensive it is uh, to manage land <laughs> uh in right. turn not wildlife i'm talking about man like i just i just dropped almost a thousand bucks on a, on a few piles of gravel because the winter uh took quite the toll on my driveway right and so so you, th- you think right. about that kind of stuff but somebody gets access they're in there um are you going to be able to stipulate like okay i'm in here it's it's whitetail season it's the rut i don't want some bird watching hippie coming through and screwing up my hunt is is there a way to manage that? 
for sure. For sure. Because it is, um, Hey, it's li- much easier to do that. Go ahead. I, I was just going to, sorry to cut you off there. Just li- some of you listeners that are bird watchers. I don't mean to offend you with that. It's just, uh, cause I, I say that a lot. Um, but it's just a, a thing I use because I know a lot of, uh, bird watchers that are, like anti-hunting hippie type kind of folks. So uh, if you're offended by that, come on, let's get some thicker skin and, and move on. Here we go. Yeah, as long as Will Smith isn't listening, he won't get slapped today, Jim. So did did, <laughs> did you see that? I didn't even know. Like, what the hell, man? He walks up there and backhands that dude. Uh, I, I and I don't like that, but I saw it. It popped up on social media or something. I got a kick out of it, man. <laughs> but yeah, to your. To your point, there is, and and in this system, it's much easier. Um, you know, we're a nonprofit, and I I use this term a lot. We're communally owned because we are a community. However, in the eyes of the IRS, we're privately owned, right? Mm-hmm. We're a we're a nonprofit. We're a company. So yes, we can come in with a board, and we can vote on, and we can say that you know. This first week of November is for this slot of whatever whitetail hunters. We're going to have three guys on the ranch that drew three whitetail tags for the first week of November. That's it. Those guys go out there. No mountain bikers, no bird watchers, no no, whatever. Um, Nature walkers. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Because I know that that like in the in the town just south of me, I was telling you about Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um, it's grown tremendously in the last five years. I mean, it's, it's like a different world down there, but it used to be, there's these mountains just right outside of town. You used to be able to, uh, find some pretty nice bucks on, right. And it's, it was, it's all public land, but nobody hunts it anymore because you can't go in there and hunt anymore because you're sure shit going to have some mountain biker come barreling through or bird watcher or uh, whatever, just these folks that don't hunt. The, and and it's their right. They want to enjoy the the public land, right? And it is public land, so I, I don't want to I don't want to stop that. But uh, it is frustrating. It's like, man, it is middle of November and freaking thirty two degrees out here. Why are you out here? <laughs> Unless you're hunting, right? <laughs> but anyway, and and so I, I I think the beautiful thing about this is that that your comment is spot on. It's public land, and they have the right to be on there. Also, you know, mm-hmm. from from our normal public lands, they also they also have a bigger voice, which I think we're finally seeing, because like I said, bringing it back to the money, we like to use a lot of times that we've got the Pittman-Robertson Act. We pay for this land. Therefore, we have the most, the, the biggest majority voting rights, yada, 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 which there's, there is truth to that. But tell me that they don't have pool right now when we're watching crap get shut down left and right. Oh, totally. So, so when we take it into this scenario, they, they, yeah, they're part of the public. If they would like to pay the fee to come camp, if they would like to pay the fee to come to come fish, that's fine. They're going to know this property is privately held and its purpose is to sustain and safeguard the way of life for hunters. So if you don't want to be a part of that, don't come participate in the property. It's open to you if you would like to agree to those stipulations. If you don't want to, go use another piece of property or go buy your own property like we did. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, and, and, and when it comes to, well, what if they get in and do something? Well, 
now we have the rights as as private landowners of a nonprofit to say, you know, one, this is hunter harassment or or two, you know, you need to be removed from my property for trespassing. And so yeah. there's not a we don't have to fight that battle of, well, I've got just as much right to be here as you do. You know what I mean? So it kind of pulls that away. And I really think that it's a pretty good deterrent when you go, here's two pieces of property. This one is publicly owned governmentally. So you've got every right to be out there that the hunter does and, and, and you can do whatever you want out there just like he can, or this one is privately owned and it's for hunters by hunters. If you would like to pay the access fee and come in, you're welcome to, but it is for hunters by hunters. If you jack with them, you're going to be removed. I'm pretty sure nine out of 10 of them are going to go. We're going to get a lot more done if we go over here on this governmental public land and jack with these guys than we are if we go over here and, and just keep getting kicked out at the gate, you know? Yeah. 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 If that, that, that could, I mean, I could, I could foresee that developing into a lot of different issues, but, um, I, I think it's manageable. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When, when I first kind of looked at this, uh, because it, it did, like I said, it piqued my interest because this is something I've, I've thought about and, and how, how we can protect further public land or access to public lands because it, it's a frustrating thing when we do get politicians who I would normally like um, talking about how we need to transfer public land to the state. And, and, you know, it's the citizen's land and it should go to the state, which basically takes it away from being citizen land and state owned. And it now has to generate revenue for the state in order for it to be sustainable. And a lot of times it just means selling it off to, to uh, private buyers such as the Wilkes brothers. And, and that's what happens. Right. And it's, that's what the, the big misconception is. Um, you know, oh, let's transfer it to the state. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Don't transfer it to the state. Oh, this time, you know, I had a, I had a politician on my show once and he's like, oh, you know, you, you just have to trust me. I, I, we transfer it to the state and, and uh, make sure it was state managed uh, for, you know, anybody who wanted to use it as public land. Yeah. And, and it's like, dude, I, I am long enough in the tooth. I don't trust any of you freaking politicians. Like, don't, no. Don't don't piss on my leg, man. It, this I, I don't fall for it. I don't buy it. I don't I will fight transfership to state ownership tooth and nail. Um because because it's a it's just a sham. And so there's a lot that again, like you said, this is a massive project, what you're talking about. And when I first when I first saw it, I guess that's kind of what I before I went off on a tangent. Um there was there was some leery uh, hesitation with with you know first understanding because I you know when I've looked into this kind of thing it's like just the 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 expense alone but I was looking at it from private ownership giving public access kind of thing you know not nonprofit um, the expense of of property taxes and and upkeep and and wildlife management and and things like that it just didn't seem feasible um, right. It's sounding more and more feasible to me. And so I'm interested in this. Um, yeah. And, and to bring up one of your points on, on the who's taking care of what that, that we were talking about earlier, Jim, I think I, I use this example with a guy I was talking to the other day who said, yeah, but you know, he, he kind of had the same comment you did about, well, what happens when, you know, a fence needs to be painted or this needs to happen or this needs to happen. And I said, okay, well, there's, there's two situations here. One, every property, like I said earlier, has a live on wildlife biologist and a ranch hand, um, that, 
this is what I do for a living, you know what I mean, currently. And so mm-hmm. I understand the inner workings of how this works and, and what manpower does and how much stuff costs when it comes to this type of stuff. But two, if if you wake up tomorrow, Jim, and and the front window at your house is busted out, do you sit on the couch and go, I wonder who's going to fix that? Or do you get off your ass and go fix it? You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's yours. You know what I mean? And so when, when you have something like this that everybody is putting into, let's say all 15 million of us decide to donate a couple bucks a month or whatever it is. If we're all putting into it, if you've got that place up there in northern Idaho that you're talking about and you go through and, and you see one day that that the gates off the hinge or that this is a, is it not yours? You know, you, yeah. you get out and you put Fix the it. gate back on or or you come back to to the board of four progeny and you go, hey, guys, I noticed that, you know, these signs have fallen down or these need to be painted. And we come back to you and go, Jim, what, what do we need to do with that? You know, well, we need mm-hmm. to get this paint and we need to get this done. OK, go find four more people that use that property out there. Get them with you and let's get that done. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. in this situation, not everything has to be about money. If you've got a group of people that are as big as we are, sometimes we just have to take responsibility for our own assets and get stuff done. I think we see that across our communities. If you watch the news, you don't because everything on the news is is bullcrap about how bad the world is and we're all going to hell in a handbasket. But every single day we see just in my, my own daughter's little league, I saw 40 people show up last week to take these piece of crap goat filled looking baseball fields and turn them into something beautiful. And not one person asked for a dollar. It was because it was theirs. It was our communities. And we wanted to make it look nice and take pride in it. And so we went up there and we did the work that can Mm -hmm. happen across the board in this, you know, it just, it has to be a selfless act instead of what do I get out of it? If you're wondering what you get out of it, it's probably not for you. If you're wondering what kind of legacy we can leave for the future, then you're probably the right man for the job, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the, the, the folks are there, and, and there's obviously if you watch organizations like the RMEF or, or the Mule Deer uh, Foundation and see what kind of support they garner for, for just a habitat project where you, they, get, they get a bunch of these volunteers that go out and help, you know, do whatever, um, the enthusiasm is there from the hunting community. And, and if it was centered around this, this, this idea of community that we're all in this together and we all benefit from this thing, you're going to have a lot more um, hands on deck, willing, willing to do these things. And and so I think it's totally doable. Um, What, what am I missing? Am I missing anything that uh, like, like a listener might be listening to this and think, well, yeah, but what about this? Because you're, you're in this, you know, uh, so you're, you're a lot more wrapped up into it than, than I am. So maybe I'm missing some questions that I could ask to, to alleviate concerns as, as, as you kind of put this thing together. Yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, most of most of the guys that get excited about it, they get excited about just the hunting opportunity and not the not the inner workings of it. And so a lot of my questions are like, how do you handle draw odds or what's it cost to apply for a tag or how many tags are you going to give out? And I'm like, man, but, you know, but that's, you, I, isn't it? I think that's it's, all part of it. You know? Yeah, I think it's important to clarify that you're not going into like the outfitting business with this right i mean you're not providing state tags or 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 anything like that that's just it's like i i I don't know how they do it in texas 
but like in Idaho, if you bought 8,600 acres in the panhandle of Idaho, a, a local resident just goes to Walmart and buys a, you know, $36, $40 elk tag or whatever. And there you go. You've got access to that, that land, uh, w- with the exception of maybe whatever small fee, you know, five bucks or, or, or whatever fee to access or use an easement or, or something like that. I'm just brainstorming here. But so, so when people yeah. say that kind of stuff, it's not like you're looking to, purchase land and then charge people $40,000 to go hunt, you know, Henry Longhorn, the whitetail that's, that's uh, been on the, on the land fenced up, you know, kind of thing. That's not what this is. No, this no, is, no, not at all. Not at yeah. all. And I think, but you know, people do have to realize also that let's, let's say that we get a piece of land that's a thousand acres, right. And our biologist comes in and says, Hey, um, we can take 10, whitetail bucks off of here this year and we can take 15 whitetail does whatever it is just throwing random numbers out there sure um that's not going to be a situation where we can go okay guys the gate's open as long as you have a texas tag you can come in here and hunt and put 400 people on a thousand acres right and so you have to have it to where that biologist can come in and go look we got 10 buck tags and you know when i say tags i'm talking texas lingo it's not really a tag just we can kill 10 whitetail bucks and we can kill 15 whitetail does and that's the quota that that is needed to be taken off this year to keep sustainable healthy numbers on the property okay great so we we have a draw and we draw 10 buck tags and we draw 10 10 doe tags as long as you got a texas license and you get drawn you come in you do your hunt you know now there's going to be other situations where it's Let's say it's javelina or it's hog, wild hogs or, you know, audad or something like that. And we go, okay, you know, we'll just, there, there's not a number, you know, that we have to have or that, that need, in the case of hogs, kill them all. You know what I mean? So yeah, something yeah. <laughs> like that is a situation where you're just like, hey, if you would like to hunt hogs here, we hunt hogs from this date to this date. As long as you have a Texas hunting license, come on into the park or to the ranch and and hunt your hogs, you know what I mean? To where it's all scheduled out. It has to be, um, it, it will be, I'm an extremely like organization oriented person. And so it has to be structured, um, in a manner that obviously is as safe as possible and obviously helps with the issue of overcrowding on public lands. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that's, that's very important to me. People are going to have to understand that, Let's say we have 200,000 people that, that donate to get this first piece of property bought. All 200,000 people aren't going to get to hunt it. You yeah. Know, that's just I, not, uh, that's not feasible. That's, that's know? a thought so, I had but, exactly. Yeah. But if we stick with the program as it goes, what we're ultimately doing is we're adding more acres per person across the United States and therefore adding more opportunity per person to be drawn across the United States. Um, and I think that's the ultimate goal here is that, um, you know, I saw that, that your little girl had a birthday the other day. So, you know, I think the ultimate goal for us is that when she is your age, she looks back and goes, you know, my dad was a part of adding 8 million acres mm-hmm. to the United States for us to be able to hunt and have more opportunity to hunt on, you know? So really, and truthfully, that's, that's the end goal is that when you and I are dead and gone, our kids and our grandkids are either going to have by miracle, the exact same number of, of acres that we have to hunt now by reality, less 
than what we have to hunt now, or with our help and dedication, a hell of a lot more than what you and I have to hunt now. And yeah. I think that's the, that's what we're trying to get to, you know? I think so too. I, I, I think that's, I think that's, uh, again, it's a lofty goal and it, I, I think it's a good, good goal and a worthwhile goal. Um, if, if, uh, if you can get enough people on board, man, th- th- this has a future. And that's just my opinion. And, and, and from somebody who, who values public land as much as I do, um, you know, and, and I know, I know some people, uh, nobody's really given me a hard time, but I know there are, there are times when, you know, I, I, when I'm talking about public land, the listeners to this show usually know that, you know, I just bought 26 acres of prime whitetail, you know, North Idaho hunting property. Um, but it's our home. It's not, I didn't buy it for hunting. However, uh, my girls both killed a deer on it, but I'm a public land right. guy. I, everything I kill is on public land with the exception of a uh, coyote that, um, was very had of unfortunate day. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, is my 26 acres, I I'd like to share it. I'd like to share what I have, uh, especially for youth hunters that, um, I'd like to figure out a way to get some youth hunters up here and, and, and maybe shoot some turkeys or, or whatever. Um, regardless public land is still where like i'm not going to call in an elk on my property we we get elk on our land uh quite quite frequently actually in fact we've got a bunch of uh bulls battered up kind of back behind on the on the back side of my land here it's pretty cool watching them all winter uh but they're not here in september they're not here in september right they're up in the high country and on the on the in the national forest on public land and so the, the point is even though I have private land and, and it's, it's not, not a terrible place to hunt. I, I am a public land hunting guy and that's where I spend 99.9% of my hunting days is on public land. So any way that we could do anything we could do to expand that and, and maintain the opportunities that are out there is what I grew up doing. I want my kids to grow up doing it and I want their kids to grow up doing it. Hunting is, is not a, uh, it's not some irrelevant thing that is going away despite what these anti-hunters think is happening. You know, their, their comments are often, well, you know, hunting numbers are going down, so they're losing their influence. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Hunting is not going no. away. Hunting is a very relevant thing still to the, to the, the human experiment. And, and people like me and you and, and others, we're, you know, we're going to fight for this thing until the bloody end. I, I don't care what, what has to happen. And, and, and I, I, I do, think that anti-hunters need to understand that, um, you know, don't underestimate the links I'm willing to go to pro- protect this because it's that important to me. And public land is a similar thing. Um, so I, 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 you know, I guess that's a long way of me saying, Skyler, uh, I got off the rails there. <laughs> uh, if you've listened to my show, you know, that happens a lot. Um, oh, that's all right. You know, I, whatever I could do to help, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I'd like to, I know we're, we're running a little long here. I'd like to see you get back out there and catch some fish. So let's, let's wrap this up. But, uh, you know, whatever I could do to help, is there anything else you want people to know, uh, as, as this, like, what, what is the projection in terms of when this thing's going to be live? This, uh, as, in terms uh, of an organization. Yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be launching pretty soon. I would say within the next two months, um, we're going to go live. We, we have, a. We have a waiting period for um, first the state and then the IRS to approve us, mm-hmm. um, which we've 
through the legal team, they said there's no there's no way that we're not going to get approved because it falls in line with everything that it would take to be approved. We just it all approvals are done by an actual person and not a computer system. So you kind of have to wait your turn. Yeah, and those can take up to six up to 60 days, they said. But I did. um I did pay the, P- the fee for expedited process, so I've got my fingers crossed it'll go a little faster than that. Um, and then, um, you know, after that, it'll just be time. The way this will kind of lay out, Jim, is that once we get approved and I am able to um, get the account set up and us to start receiving donations, what we will do is we will have project one, um, and, and that will kind of be decided on um hopefully we'll start gaining more traction social media wise so that on stuff such as Instagram, we'll be able to ask some questions and take some polls and have people really help us out there um, because it is a communal effort, but we'll, we'll pick property one or project one. And then we will, we will, you know, dig our toes in the sand to get that project funded. Um, Everything will be laid out. And this is, this is something I think is important that everybody should know because um there are a lot of great organizations, nonprofit organizations in our industry that raise a ton of money. The money is there, guys. I mean, you can go online right now and you can see that Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is raising, you know, $100 million a year and 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 freaking Ducks Unlimited is is just blowing into the hundreds of millions of dollars a year and stuff like that that, that, yeah. they're, that they're raising. Um, and so the money's there to get stuff done. I want everybody to know that um, – in this organization, I always use the term communal because it is a communal effort. Um, just because I had this idea, um, you know, doesn't mean that I'm, I'm the person that's going to be able to go out by myself and accomplish it. That's, it's impossible. It's going to take a lot of people whose ideas and, and tasks are just as important, if not more than, than what mine is. Um, and so I want everything to be an open book all the way down to, you know, if a guy calls and needs to see, you know, if, if somebody wants to try to call my bluff on the bank account, uh, here's a screenshot, buddy. You tell us where we're spending the money because the entire goal of this is to buy the property. And so this is not going to be an organization who spends a lot of money on, um, you know, paperwork and banquets and, and, and merchandise and stuff like that. Our goal is to buy land, and so we want to concentrate all of our efforts on doing that on the land and and what it takes to run and manage the property. And so um, I think that's a very important point to make. And and other than that, it's it's just simple math. Once once you get past that, is to understand that here's a fun fact for you: that 8,600 acres um, cost five million dollars, and and uh, you know with with what it would take to run that throughout the year. Anyways, the entire thing we could, we feel like we, for $6 million, everything would be said and done complete access, complete management. Um, and when looking at that, you've got 15 million registered hunters in the United States. You've got, uh, 39 million registered fishing license holders in the United States. And there is a little bit of crossover right there. But yeah, for sure. If outdoorsmen, if three percent of the American outdoorsmen would donate five dollars, just five bucks, we would fund that immediately. If three percent, 
of the American Outdoorsman participated. That would be funded immediately. There would be 8,600 additional acres of, of privately owned public hunting access with 150 new hunting opportunities, unlimited fishing and, and camping opportunities, and it would be ours. And it would have no influence from governmental agendas or anti-hunting legislation um, unless Joe Biden decided tomorrow that he was not going to allow hunting anymore. <laughs> but but you let know, me ask you something, Scott. If, if, if Joe Biden, obviously this is totally theoretical, right? If, if, if Joe Biden comes out and he says, you know what? Um, we're hunting's banned. It's done. Would you stop hunting? Uh, no, I would not. Yeah, me neither. Um, I, uh, this is, this is why this is so important to me, Jim, is that, uh, hunting changed my life, man. I mean, I would be, I I would be nowhere without hunting. I would be, I've, I've, I've wrote this an article and I've, I've done a, a, another, uh, person's podcast and, and mentioned this statement that without hunting, um, I would have had very few goals and aspirations in my life and I would be a depressed shell of myself without it. It is my way of life. I've, I've been controversial on different podcasts and different media avenues at times by saying that, um, I am part of a minority, you know, because I do a lot of talks with, with anti hunters. And, and sometimes that's how I get my point across is that, you know, a lot of the anti hunting people are in the same, um, same realm with, with, really trying to say that we should be more supportive of, of minority groups and, and differing of opinions. And my point is that I am a minority as a hunter. It is my way of life. It is in my blood. And, and without that, I would be a depressed version of myself. And therefore that's why I have to fight to do everything I can to maintain my way of life. And so, no, there's, there's no way that, uh, that if somebody said you, you're not allowed to hunt, that I would stop. You know, I would just have to go to jail, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, it's yeah. I've I've thought about that a lot, but I I'm with you, man. I I appreciate your perspective on this. Um, I think what you're doing is, uh, I I think I think there's some relevance to it, and and there's there's a long way it could go. Um, and so uh, for that, I I appreciate you. Uh, I, th- I think, I think it's awesome. I, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a future with it. So, um, I'm, I'm definitely on board. So let's, let's plan to as, as, um, for progeny becomes, you know, live as an organization and able to do donations, you know, all that kind of stuff. Let's plan to get you back on the show and, and we can, we could do some kind of project where we're talking about it and, uh, or, or just a, just a podcast, and and get the information out there to as many people as we can, hunters. And um, you know, I I, I think I think uh, there's a, there's a future here for sure. Oh, I appreciate it, man. And keep in mind, I need a I need a Pacific, you know, Northwest board member. So keep that well, in the back of your head. Man. Let's let's <laughs> we could we could talk about that here as soon as I uh, hit the stop recording button. So. Um, you get back to fishing in the meantime, and and let's uh, let's just plan on on keeping in touch about it, man. I sure appreciate you having me on, Jim. I really do. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, and and we'll be in touch. You made it all the way to the end. 
thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.